Hey, everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2017. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on MMA Fighting. Sorry as I try to get unashy here. Uh, help, you're doing well. Today on the podcast, there's a lot of sort of moving parts. No huge, major, oh my God issue. But there is Bellator 170 this week. A weekend, I should say, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Tito, by choice, I'm told, not doing a lot of interviews for it. Um, but nevertheless, Chael Sonnen's making his Bellator debut, his return to mixed martial arts. Mark Hunt is suing the UFC. Stipe Miocic is mad about his pay. World Series of Fighting is canceling shows. Black Zillions are falling apart or something like that. So there's a lot of small things going on, and we'll talk about any and all of them that you are interested in. Thank you so much for joining me uh, here on this Wednesday. Sorry, I was a little bit late. I had to shower real quickly. I got my uh, Ghost Aminos. These are probably little more than a placebo, but I'd heard some good things about it. Wanted to try it out, and we'll see how they go. These are not, they don't do, the BCAAs, the branch chain amino acids, the more you read about them, the more you're like, I don't know how much these really do, but probably better to take it than not take it. So that is what I shall do. Um, in the meantime, thanks to everyone who saw the Monday Morning Analyst. Um, I was really happy that it turned out the way it did, although I got to get a new setup so I can film things that aren't so like close up because I was trying to do the Ezekiel choke and it was a little hard to show as a consequence of it. But nevertheless, look at this, huh? Looks gross, doesn't it? Like someone drank Pepto-Bismol and threw it back up after having Diet Dr. Pepper. But I'm going to drink it because I have the palate of a toddler. All right, here we go. Ready? God, that is disgusting. Oh, all right. I'll drink that through the course of the show. Thank you much, so much for joining me. Uh, okay, let's get right to it. Not a moment to waste. I've already wasted many. First question, Luke, the perfect matchup, Musasi versus Weidman. What's up, Luke? Gagard Musasi versus Chris Weidman makes way too much sense. You have a fighter in, a in, excuse me, in Gagard who is on the come up, and you have Chris Weidman who is on a bit of a slump. Now I'm going to assume Chris would want to make his way back to the title, and Gagard would be an excellent start. On the flip side, this will be a perfect for Gagard because if he beats Chris, he would be in title contention. Why wouldn't Chris want to sign up for this fight right away? Well, because he has suffered two brutal losses in a row, and in between that had injury. I am a firm believer, and you guys know this. I am a firm believer that the UFC could be a little bit more liberal with how much they use tune-up fights. Now, tune-up fights are hard to come by in the UFC because just to make it to the UFC, generally speaking, you have to be good, although we've seen that that's not exactly the case, but you get the idea. You have to be, in some ways, relative to your geographic peers, better than them. And so that makes it hard to just pick some club fighter out of obscurity, have your guy go against him, look good, get back on the winning track, and then sort of go about their merry way. So it's hard to do tune-up fights. They're not even really tune-up fights to begin with, but there are ways you could give a guy something that would enable him to get back on the horse. It's like it's interesting criticisms of the way Japanese did fight promotion and contender, contender building in the Pride era they would get these guys who would be, you know, and especially if they were Olympic medalists or Olympians of some kind, which holds a lot of sway um, in Japan. 
and they would just throw them to the wolves. This is a very common scenario, and they wouldn't really develop. Uh, I'm not saying that's what the UFC does, but there's something of what they do relative to that that's kind of like a slow-motion version of it, where once you reach a certain level, they don't really give you any more easy fights. And I'm And I'm mostly glad about it, but we just know. We just know tune-up fights and rebuilding works. And so, you know, I don't know how many people really cared about um, some of the fights. Again, I, I use this as a very clear example because it's the most recent one. But, you, I mean, they're not hard to figure out which ones work. Um, you know, Michael Chandler had a bunch of fights in, in Bellator. The folks were like, what? They worked. To me, they worked. Um, they gave him a respite physically. And they built him back psychologically. And I thought the performance he turned in against Benson Henderson was evidence of that. Chris Weidman just got brutally, brutally KO'd. Does that mean he couldn't beat Gagard Musasi? No. Does it mean that, um, you know, he can never be something great again if they don't give him a tune-up fight? No. Uh, and it might actually be the case that if you talk to him, he wouldn't want one. There's a lot of this, you know, the way to get back on the horse is not to get a tune-up fight, but to get the toughest fight. And if you can win that one, I mean, you're right back where you left off. But if you've been butchered like that a couple of times and there's still life left in you, it makes sense to slowly get back to things. You know, we always talk about an evolution in training, right? Um, eliminating to the extent you can hard sparring. And, you know, guys like Junior Dos Santos are getting rhabdomyolysis, rhabdomyolysis, rhabdo for short, essentially the condition that that is the medical condition of overtraining where, um, you know, you're almost poisoning yourself. How do you properly pronounce that? Let me just see here real quickly. I want to make sure I get this correct. Apologies, y'all. Here we go. One more time. Rhabdomyolysis. Rhabdomyolysis. Apologies. Um, we've actually seen that in MMA through overtraining. And I feel like the one area where we haven't made a lot of innovation or evolution really is in the way in which at the UFC level anyway, we match fighters up. And again, I wouldn't want to go all the way to the boxing side where, um, you know, you're avoiding big fights and there's too many of these tune-ups and guys are taking tune-ups when they don't need them. That that's not the answer either. But for a, for us, for a guy who was a former champion who lost his title in brutal fashion with a fight that should have been stopped earlier, lost time due to injury, then comes back and gets viciously KO'd. He does not need to be fighting a guy the caliber of Gagard Musasi. Not to say he can't at some point in the future. Not to say that at some point in the future, he wouldn't beat him. Not to say he couldn't even beat him now if it really came down to it. But that that's not the optimal way to have a lengthy, um, a healthier return to fighting. It's just not. Some guys are not going to be that A-level guy. We shouldn't treat A-level guys like they're any other level guy. We should treat A-level guys like we know what they are and they can rebound. They stretch them, but they'll come back. And I really feel like we don't do enough of that in mixed martial arts. I really feel that way. Someone says the trilogy would be way too soon for a fight with Gagard and Jacare. Maybe. Someone says, no, no, no. I think why we need to tune up fight. There you go. Vitor Sapo, for instance. Sure. Sapo would be a good one, right? Um, I thought you typed sap. <laughs> it's funny. Someone says, Weidman tune up Uriah Hall. 
it's a bit more dangerous than what I would anticipate, but sure, something where it's a manageable task. Um, that I think is really, really missing. I don't think we have enough evolution in that regard. Let's try some more of this ghost aminos. It's like someone took Sour Patch Kids, poured urine on it, and then just <laughs> served it to you. It is horrible. God. Woo. <clears throat> How do people drink that? What's next for Yair? He looked I'm assuming you're going to put awesome against BJ. But how good was BJ? Before that, Yair won a split decision against Alex Casares. So what do you think should be the next step for him? Barrow, Ortega, Choi? Or do you think he's ready for a top five guy? I love the uh, Ortega fight. Love the Ortega fight, if they make it. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, um, Rodriguez versus uh, uh, Ortega. Love that one. Why? Because um, a guy, I think that's some of the... <laughs> And I mentioned this on my um, on my wrap up on my personal YouTube channel after the event on Sunday, which is a lot of times what happens after a big fight is, or I should say, before a big fight, you got one guy versus another guy, and then you got the coaching staff. And the coaching staff on one side will say a bunch of things, and they will they will posit a few theories, and the other side will do the same about why their guy will win and what the flaw is with the other guy. And what will happen is someone will win. And what we'll say is the guy whose team won, all of their theories were correct, basically, and the other guys are idiots. And I don't ever really feel like that's fair. I feel like there's sometimes your guy can lose and your theory can still be correct because maybe you didn't account for some other thing, maybe just bad luck, maybe your guy wasn't the guy to, to make that theory prove true, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the insight was wrong. And one of the insights, or at least one of the theories that was posited by Jason Perillo was that the the, the risk-taking style you see from Rodriguez is not a preference, I like this versus you like that. It's it's a preference born out of inexperience. In other words, inexperienced guys basically wouldn't fight that way. I should say elite experienced guys wouldn't fight that way. And there might be something to that. The guy is only 24. He hasn't really, to your point, fought someone really, really, really good who's had to make him pay for it. We'll see. Maybe they won't. So maybe it actually this theory was, it will prove false. But I don't know that because BJ couldn't pull it off that automatically the idea is is nonsense. Now, um, why do I like the Ortega fight? For those reasons. Ortega has an insane ground game, really good control, great transition to dominant positions, uh, sick, sick guard. I feel like if they get into scrambles, he might be able to give some uh, uh, Rodriguez some trouble, at least in theory. Conversely, while Ortega has had a dramatic improvement in his stand-up, um, I still think in terms of that portion of the game, there are some questions about his, um, you know, not his IQ generally, but about his fight IQ in the stand-up. On the ground, there's zero question. But in the stand-up, there are some questions about the decisions he makes there, and he's a little bit hittable. And for a guy like Rodriguez, who has great speed, explosivity, um, creativity, unpredictableness, unpredictability, I should say, uh, that to me, I mean, that's a, that's a great matchup. What a great matchup. And I think they're right close together, like 9, 10, 8, and 10, something like that in the rankings for whatever that's worth. So I really like that Ortega fight. I think to me that's the direction they should go, and I don't think a loss for either guy is uh, particularly damaging. And the winner clearly moves to the top of that uh, bottom half of the, of, the, of, the, of the top 10. So like he moves to like 7 or 6, maybe even 5, you know, depending on how things shake out. So I really like that fight. Now, the question was, how good is BJ 
Um, sorry, excuse me, how, what's next for EA? Or how, he looked good against BJ, but how good was BJ? Let me say something about this that I haven't heard anyone else really say and I've been thinking a lot about. Now, look, let me just say that. Let me just state it outright. How surprised do you think his cornermen were by what happened on Sunday? Somebody had to know that that was going to happen. Rationally speaking, somebody. I don't know who. Um, I find it very, very dubious, very dubious that everybody who cornered him, and then that's different from everyone who trained him, maybe the ones who cornered him I would let off the hook because who knows? They could have been there because they felt like they owed him a solid. Maybe BJ asked him and they felt you know, compelled because this is a legend or something. But of the people who trained him, they had to know they were sending him to the gallows. They had to know. I find it very possible. I find it very implausible that they left Sunday night being like, "Wow, we really got taken by surprise with that one." Maybe I don't. I, I don't. I don't know that to be certain, but I'm quite skeptical of the idea that they were shocked by that outcome. I'm very skeptical of that idea, not merely because they had seen him in training, but because of the kinds of training he had done. It, it, apparently, he had trained at Jackson's last year, but not at all for this camp, and maybe not even at all for the Manila camp either. So what was he doing? And those around him, what were they seeing? Like, is it possible that he was killing guys in training even without going to Jackson's again and then uh, just didn't show up on fight night? It is absolutely possible. Yes. I find that very improbable. I find that very improbable. And, I, you know, I'm not expecting guys to go out of their way to, you know, oh, man, yeah, I'm cornering BJ. Boy, he's going to get smoked. I'm not saying they have to do that, but uh, did no one caution him? Did no one say to him, look, dude, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, I'll ride with you on this one, but this is a really bad idea. You know, and I understand it's complicated because if you say no, you maybe you damage your relationship with him and – you know, you could damage it for life if he feels like you've betrayed him in some kind of way. Maybe you feel like, all right, this is the end, and we can just get through it, and that'll be that'll be that. You know, I, I understand that these things are enormously complicated, but I really feel like, uh, without knowing more details, I can't make a bold declaration or anything like that. But I've got some questions for his cornermen and the people that trained him for this camp, and letting him go out there in that condition. BJ is in no condition to fight anybody. Anybody. It's not that he couldn't beat people of a lesser level, but we're talking about an all-time legend who went out there and exhibited all, and I really, really, really hate to say this, but he exhibited all the signs of a fighter who is shot. Chief among them, going out there and not throwing back. That is, that is number one sign that a guy doesn't have it anymore. And doesn't really want it anymore. Even if they feel like they do, they can have this sort of compartmentalized identity. If a guy's going out there and he's surviving, but he's not really throwing back, he threw back a little bit, but not much, especially towards the end of that first round. He was just getting torched. I mean, old Ross, Rousey was trying to throw back, but she only had 48 seconds and she just had a fist in her face at basically all times. She could just never get out of first gear, you know. And they let him go back out in that second round, too. I don't know. I don't know what the truth is. I can't declare anything to be one way or the other. 
but I would like to know some more information about what those guys knew because it seems to me a little bit questionable that they didn't know that this was going to happen and that they let it continue into the second round. Y'all are not surprised by this? Not surprised anybody said anything? I am, man. He looked terrible. Terrible. And not terrible like overwhelmed by a really good fighter, although that was the case too. He looked overwhelmed for the basic condition of fighting in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And it's sad, man. You're talking about a guy who used to run the show. Takano Nagomi was the guy, you know what he did? It took him over to Rumble on the Rock, bloodied his up his gums, and snatched up his neck, man. And he did it with aplomb. It was incredible. And then going and fighting the Gracies up to middleweight, taking in, in the, these innovative ways in which he was showing jujitsu that nobody could do at the time. Going up to Matt Hughes, he trained for Matt Hughes by surfing, <laughs> you know, and 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 took his title, and then said "f you" to UFC and went to K one. Like you're talking about a trailblazer, a bat, a Billy badass from the word go, born fighter. But even born fighters have their expiration dates, and boy, his was a while ago. And I just to me, it's like if you knew this was going to happen. And again, I don't know how, I don't have any friends who are MMA legends. So this is very, very easy for me to be like, you should have done something. But nevertheless, like if you're sitting in my chair and you're an observer of the sport and you have a microphone and an audience, I think you have a responsibility to say, what did y'all know? You know, maybe, maybe they didn't know this was going to happen. Okay, fine. But if you did and you just let it happen, no bueno. versus Yair versus Jeremy Stevens. That's a little early for me, but that's not a bad idea. Oh. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> What's with all the BJ Penn hate? Hate? I haven't seen any hate towards BJ Penn. I don't understand why everyone is calling for BJ to stay retired after he gets beat by a future top five featherweight. Well, apparently, this person can see into the future. Other fighters have been finished much faster by Ayer, and nobody is calling for their retirement. I really don't know what people expect BJ to do with such a huge style disadvantage versus this kind of fighter. Throw a punch. If BJ returned against the originally planned Dennis Seaver, I think we'd see a much different fight. Yeah, because he'd be fighting an easier guy. Might lose that one, too. And a fighter in BJ who could have a few more fun fights in his future. He could honestly go to 155 and face fellow veterans like Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy was a welterweight. Or up-and-comers like, maybe he can make lightweight now, but he was a welterweight. And up-and-comers like Mickey Gall, if the UFC wants to go that route. Hell, even fights like Machida Penn, too, at middleweight. Dude, you are a sadist. Whoa. Or a light heavyweight fight versus <laughs> Ojeri Noguera. He calls it a safe fight for BJ that holds a solid chance of winning and that any athletic commission would approve in a second. Oh, I think he's I think he's trolling. Okay. All right. Um yeah. I thought I thought you were being serious for a second. Woo! And then he writes hashtag stay retired, BJ. Very, very good. Very, very good. Very good trolling post. You got me. Because that one was woo. Oh boy. This one didn't get wrecked. Top five biggest hearts in the UFC. What are the top five fighters with the biggest hearts in the UFC? Assuming BJ is somewhere in there. Someone writes Frankie Edgar, Dominic Cruz, Stephen Thompson, Junior Dos Santos, Anderson Silva. And then someone adds Diego Sanchez. Now he's not fighting anymore, but I don't know how anybody tops Noguera. People add Cruz, 
Bisping, Penn, Mir. I don't know if I put... Come back after the accident was no joke. Yeah, fair enough. That's a good, that's a good point. It says, disrespecting a legend. Luke, many fans and analysts alike predicted that Yair Rodriguez would annihilate the 38-year-old Penn. And that's exactly what happened. It's hard to ignore the fact that the UFC orchestrated this matchup purely for the intention of using BJ as a stepping stone for a young rising star. It's also ridiculous that BJ kept getting matched up with higher competition after each time he pulled out due to different reasons. A fellow legend such as Dan Henderson was never treated like a doormat for a prospect. So why was BJ? Well, he would have if he had stuck around long enough. That's a fact. Feeding, I mean, how many times I got to say this on this on this podcast? Feeding the elder, it's not merely that the elderly get chewed up in the sport. They get chewed up by the teeth of the young. That's who eats them. Now, I don't object in principle, in principle, of using BJ star power to elevate Yair. That's how, that's, that's the fight game. What I object to is that um, you want to give a transfer to power when you, when the guy is done to begin with, like this fight never needed to get made. Never. I mean, I'm almost in a way I'm glad it did. Like people talking about the Seaver fight, the Seaver fight would have just complicated everything. Cause it probably would have been closer. Although even that one may have been just gone poorly, but it probably would have been closer and folks would be hanging on to some delusions. Yair just sort of trampled on everyone's delusions. And I think that's a good thing ultimately, but, um, Dan Henderson was competitive to the very, very end. If he had kept sticking around, for sure, they would have matched him up with somebody uh, young who was up and coming, and that guy would have stolen his soul, and that's just how it would have gone. And if Luke Rockhold sticks around long enough, that'll happen to him. And if, I mean, you just pick it. Pick anyone you like. Uh, if, they, if they hang around long enough, um, Conor McGregor, if he hangs around long enough, they're going to feed him to the next version of himself. No one is immune from that unless they get out early enough, in which case they can avoid that. That's how GSP avoided that, right? Um, but if you hang around past your expiration date, you know, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get eaten alive. That's just how it works. Um, and we should be glad that Yair dispelled of the almost conspiracy theory level delusion that went into Rodriguez or sorry that went into Penn and my position was pretty clear all along on this one hang on put my chair up which was I was so wrong about Arlovsky I was willing to give the Penn stuff with Jackson a second Jackson Wink excuse me a second chance even though you know I remained agnostic like I mean all indications are that Rodriguez is going to run over him but you know, we'll see what Jackson can do. But it turns out he didn't go to Jackson to, at the very end. That was a limited thing that he was doing. So he wasn't, at, like, unlike Arlovsky, he wasn't really committed to the process. Um, what, do you, what can you say? But I don't see anyone disrespecting him. He asked for this. He told people to drain their bank accounts. He said he's going to get a third title. I mean, this, the, the bigger issue to me with BJ is... Um, he's having trouble transitioning to the next stage of his life. That, that seems like, and he's unsatisfied with the way things have ended, but you can't get him back. Um, you have just that moment in time to do the things that you do and you can't get him back. And you have to figure out something else to do. I don't know what that's going to be, but there you are.
Any update on uh <clears throat> on Edmund and GFC? Did you hear if Edmund was able to pay the 160k? I will follow up with uh, Paul Gift. He's the one that has been following that. I have not followed that. Jesus, there's like 10 of these. This has nine wrecks, so I guess I'll answer it. Luke, from the following list, which are the three worst in your opinion? One, yellow mustard. Two, <laughs> Baltimore. Three, Jim Beam. Four, IPAs. Five, bad deadlift form. Six, Cyborg 135 Truthers. Seven, face the pain. Eight, Pat the mouth breather Lundvall. Nine, the Dallas Cowboys. Ten, hot take opinions from those people uh, who will go unnamed on a certain show on a particular channel. Uh, and then 11, people who use hating on Star Wars as a reason for why they think they have good taste in film. The three worst will be Bad Deadlift Form, Face the Pain, and the Dallas Cowboys. Baltimore has some charm. Yellow Mustard has very limited applicability, but some. Jim Beam is rock gut, but it's trusty. IPAs are gross, but people are sort of finally catching on that like throwing ungodly amounts of hops into beer, partly as a way to mask the taste of extra alcohol. Not really a satisfying experience. Finally, people are catching on to that. Cyborg stuff is sort of in the past at this point. Pat Lundvall is not really around anymore. And those two donks on a show. like People are like, did you hear what Skip Bayless said? I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't. Upcoming conflict between live event programming and UFC event schedule. All right. WME IMG is looking to make $400 million on its next TV deal. Uh, that's, I think, annually. Something like that, right? Um, a significant pay bump from their previous deal. I think it is fair to say that whoever their partner is moving forward at the time of re-signing would expect more content, unique, original, exclusive content for their money, whether it's specials, live events, tough shows, etc., do you see a potential conflict down the road given the new owner's penchant to cancel smaller events? It would seem WME IMG is not willing to take on the operating expenses and go through with a show for small takes and cash grabs. Do you think their risk-averse approach concerning putting on smaller shows, thusly decreasing the overall number of live events, will affect their negotiating power when it comes to signing a new TV deal? Well, yes and no. I mean, um, it, typically these deals are such that they... Uh, signed for a certain number given in a calendar year. So uh, so they'd have to make those no matter what. Now the question is how many do they put down as guarantees? I think that would be the bigger issue. What, what would they reasonably guarantee? Front Row Brian had some, um, I think, some reporting. I'm not sure if he reported it as fact or uh, or what. Or, you know, I'm, when I say not fact, I mean, um, I didn't know how, solid, how, how, how solid the tr the, the, the final plans were but that um, they were going to be sort of really changing. And this is, you know, not for the next deal, of course, the way in which the number of shows were calculated, that essentially there would be uh, pay-per-view pay pay level shows more commonly on network TV. There might be fewer actual pay-per-views. Now, what that balance is and how they get that right, I don't know the answer to that. But um, you have to work out the math, I suppose. But... Um, you know, I think you're referring to the cancellation of that March 3rd show that was going to go hand-in-hand hand with that March 4th UFC 209. And my answer to that would be, 
I definitely feel like less is more, at least respect to the last year's calendar. But what I also would say is, number one, there'd be a limit, uh, I should say a, 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 a number they would have to hit no matter what. And two, um, to keep enough guys on the roster that makes sense and to give them enough fights contractually a year so that you are in contractual compliance, you you just have to have a number of those smaller shows, whether or not they a reap a big profit. Like they have a functional value. They they help sort things in the contendership and in the recruitment process and um, in the market exploration process. Like there's a value to them independent of, you know, what is this the biggest gate in XYZ history? It's that's not the ultimate conclusion. Although yes, I think you, you're on to something that. Um, record gates and record pay-per-view sales and big buys are going to be, you know, bigger splashes are going to be their priority. And that's going to make things at the other end suffer. I would just say that there's a limit to how much they could actually limit those because you need them to keep guys busy. You need them to fulfill responsibilities. You want to be on TV, uh, you know, not ubiquitously, but certainly as um, thoroughly as you can be without sacrificing show quality. And so that still gives you a, a good number of shows. And I would say, look, if the UFC does decline the number of shows into a way that's quite noticeable, you know, if the if the resulting rest of the shows turn out to be pretty good and um, this leaves space for other promoters to innovate and grow, you know, I'm okay with that. Uh, obviously, we want big UFC events, but, you know, if we have one big UFC event, like, I mean, like really big, you know, every month, every six weeks, and then that gives other promoters a chance to do something. Like, I'm I'm okay with that. It's fine by me. Someone wrote, "How stupid was it for Dana? Assuming Dana White to publicly offer Floyd and Connor twenty five million dollars to fight when he when his fight when he." How stupid was it for Dana to publicly offer Floyd and Connor $25 million each to fight when uh, fighters under his stable are complaining about their pay? Can we now confirm that the UFC has plenty of money to pay fighters but chooses not to out of greed? Um, well, we've already known they've had plenty of money to pay fighters. That's not up for debate. I mean, that, I mean that's that's a well-established fact. Uh, question is, you know, to what... To what uh, how would they maximize the ability to, to pull that out of, of the UFC, either through negotiation or some other means, right? Um, but that they have the money, I mean, it's not missing. Like, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the, yes, they could easily have some kind of a pay raise, probably not to the degree that some people think, but certainly something that might involve some cuts on the roster, but that's okay too. So that, that part is not out, uh, that part is not, um, that part is not controversial, but he goes chooses to out of greed. I mean, you can call it what you want. Maybe you call it greed. Maybe you call it savvy business, whatever you want. Here's how the world works, corporate America. And if you have a corporate job, then you probably know this. You're only going to get what you can pull out of them. Like, the UFC is hardly alone in this particular case. Um, it's in stark contrast because some of the ways they measure themselves to their sports property contemporaries makes it look like they underpay their guys, but those guys just have already gone through the process of collective action to pull out more. They didn't wait for generosity. If you wait for corporate generosity, maybe you'll be one of the, you know, 
favored sons like a Liddell or a Hughes or something. Maybe they will shine a light on you and just give you tons of money. There are a few people that always shine in any kind of corporate environment like that, whether it's Goldman Sachs, whether it's the UFC, you know, you pick it. But most of the time you get what you can just force a company to give you. And these guys just haven't forced the company to give them anything, at least not as much as they feel like they're entitled to. So, um, you know, does the UFC have money and they were hiding it? Like some offshore account? No, like just look at their, look at their revenues, look at their revenue splits. Um, it's clear that there's plenty of money to be given to the fighters. It's just they haven't figured out a way to compel the UFC to do that. And asking to speak to a corporation's hu humanity, um, it's never going to work. You got to you got to arm twist them. That's that's just the way the world works, and that's the UFC is hardly alone in that regard. And that's why McGregor <clears throat> does a lot of arm twisting. Megan or Megan Anderson after Invicta 21. The most serene of days. Did it feel like Invicta 21 was a turning point for Megan Anderson and the buzz about her, especially after that post-match call-out to Dana White? And how strong of a negotiation position do you think Anderson and her management team have with the UFC? Not a particularly strong one, but they have certainly made themselves valuable. No doubt about it. I don't think they're going to go in there and be like, you're going to pay us X, you're going to pay us Y, you're going to give us Z. I don't think it's going to work that way, but they probably definitely... They probably put themselves on uh, his radar in a, in a new and heightened way. And, um, you know, she had a great win. The only thing about Megan Anderson I would be a little bit cautious about, and she's still developing. I mean, how old is Megan Anderson? I don't think she's that old. Old Megan, Megan. She is. Damn, she's six feet tall. Tall drink of water. She is 26. So she's got some time. Um, she's a little bit hittable. Even Charmaine Tweet was sneaking through with a, with a few shots, and that's a common thing that she experiences. Like her offense is really strong, really strong. Her defense is getting there. Um, and so my only point is, like, I'm not knocking her. She, she's earned everything she's gotten, and she is the next big thing in featherweight in, in the women's division. Without, without question. Um, but uh, I think if we're expecting her to go in there and blow the doors off of people at 145, you know, I'm not, I don't know if she's ready for that quite yet. Quite yet. We'll see. But it'd be good to see her in the UFC. No doubt about it. Okay. From the inbox, a 10-7 is a slightly stricter version of the old 10-8. Sure. A 10-9 is a narrow winning round. I don't know if it's narrow, but one side won, one side lost. Like You might use it in a narrow context. You can use it in one where it's clear that 10-9, or one, one fighter won and one the, other one, the other one lost, but it wasn't like a beatdown. So it's not just a narrow. A 10-8 is halfway between the two, something like that. The first two rounds of Lombard versus Magny were both 10-7s. I don't know about that. Dan Henderson versus Michael Bisping was a win for Hendo. You can argue it that way. Someone says, prior to the cyborg popping for banned substances, a women's featherweight division 
made sense only if you were installing her as the champion. The decision to do Holm versus Durandamy only made sense if the winner was to face Cyborg. Women's featherweight, as many have noted, is so thin it makes men's heavyweight look supremely stacked. Worse, by creating this division, you will effectively cannibalize the women's bantamweight division, which is still fairly thin. On top of this, I could be wrong, but I think that women's MMA has reached a point of market saturation. That I don't agree with. Raising another division won't raise the viewership. Wouldn't the right call here be, be here to make the home fight non-title, at least until you can see what happens with Cyborg? No. Uh, uh, okay, a couple things here. Um, I don't know why people... Okay, it's not true. I can understand why people would take these positions, and I agree with most of this. I don't agree that I think women's MMA has reached a point of market saturation. Um, in fact, I think those divisions are still growing, and you want to nurture them. Like Invicta is very, very rare to me because you definitely want to have an ecosystem of smaller shows that feed into bigger shows. That's a very healthy balance, and um, uh, you know, market arrangement. Um, but. So few promoters feature women's fights and so few do so little in terms of furthering any kind of division that Invicta has a really special role because without them, like it's clear if you put women in the UFC and it's clear if you promote them correctly and it's clear that if you feature them in big roles, they deliver for you. Like they're delivering on Fox, they're delivering on pay-per-view, they're delivering on fight nights, they're delivering on fight pass. They deliver in every capacity. There's no capacity where they don't deliver. Now, Ron is a bit of an outlier relative to her peers in terms of pay-per-view sales, but you can certainly see that in, in virtually every respect they can contribute. So um, you need to keep that fire going. And Invicta has a very special role in that regard because they're doing the yeoman's work of making sure that, that there are real divisions and real contenders and some kind of queue. And it's still very much in a developmental stage, you know, where people you never heard of all of a sudden are getting title shots and People are coming out of the woodwork with you know eight and six records and things like that, and then they'll win. Or it's still a little bit of a mess, but it's becoming less of one thanks to the very, very significant work of places like Invicta. And I feel like to me, what's happening is 135 is getting thinned out because 125 is developing, and I'm really not worried about 145 cannibalizing 135. Like I don't care. I don't care what they say on TV. Like. Holm and Durandamy can make 135 no problem. They might prefer to make 145, but they can make 135 no problem. In other words, what could be the best use of 145 going forward? Very simple. Put title fights on when they make sense. Put them on as often as you can. And if they can't keep someone like uh, a champion busy in that weight class, then have them take 135-pound fights. Now, once you start getting legit 145ers who can't make 135 like a Megan Anderson, then that changes the equation a little bit. But I don't know why they can't just find people from Invicta to bring up there and give her fights if she ever became a champion or she had to stay busy or something like that. Like it's to me, it's it's not it's not that hard. You don't have to be like you just have to make enough fights for the people there and let the division grow, and then you can worry about all the different players involved. Versus you have to manicure a full division at bantamweight and strawweight, and pretty soon here I suspect um, flyweight as well. So. Uh, I'm not that concerned about it. I don't. I don't think you have to worry about. We only. We don't even have ten contenders. Don't worry about that. Just make make as many fights as you need to for the players who are there. And if it falls apart, then it falls apart, and the experiment wasn't worth it. But you never know what could happen if you promote something like that, and and, and what it could recruit and build. All right, Luke, tell us your thoughts on Nate Diaz getting a boxing license. 
What in the hell is the advantage for him here? Undercut McGregor to fight Floyd? I don't think Floyd cares about fighting Diaz, and I don't think McGregor cares about fighting Nate in a boxing match, although maybe he does. This is just Nate saying, uh, uh, I might threaten to fight someone in boxing as a way to, one, undercut the coercive contracts clause inside the Muhammad Ali Act to, to test this contract that he has with Zufa. And um, if it works, he could take a boxing match and make some extra cash. If it works, it would explode all of those promotional contracts the UFC has anyway, right? Um, it would do a lot. It would be, it's just a way to gain leverage with the UFC, maybe with McGregor too, but I don't think, Floyd does not care about taking a boxing match with Nate. And I don't think Connor does either. But Nate could take a boxing match with somebody else, or at least threaten to take a boxing match with somebody else. And that would might be enough to pressure the UFC into acting one way or the other. I think that's all it's really about. But we'll see what happens. Great question. Luke, in my opinion, Joe Lazan is the definition of a fan favorite. From mainstream to hardcore fans, it seems that everybody likes him. He speaks very well, is a very smart guy, and loves content creation. My question is, why the UFC does not use him more i think he would be great for ufc tonight and or youtube fight pass shows maybe they have and he's declined i'm not sure but if you guys aren't paying attention like he has video blogs he puts out on his own youtube channel um and uh you know you have more interviews he's got good analysis um he's smart uh, as you mentioned right he i mean he's native to digital content anyway i think his background's computer programming so holy crap It's not like he's some Luddite uh, who was averse to technology. But here's the truth about it. There could be a couple of reasons for this. One, you know, look, you got to have, have, have a certain look for TV. I'm not saying Joe is ugly, but, uh, you know, um, producers can be can be harsh with those kinds of things. There's a, you know, some people get on TV and some people don't. You might be like, well, you know, there's lots of people on TV who aren't necessarily like handsome or pretty. That's true, but I'm not saying he couldn't be. I'm, like, I'm not Jesus Christ. I'm not saying he's like the Beauty and the Beast or something like that. I'm just saying, um, I can imagine a producer being like picky about the scar on his face and his, you know, his bald head and like his ears sort of sticking out a little bit. I can imagine that might be the case a little bit, although maybe not. Here's what I really would say, whether that's true or not. I think he's best on digital content. He's the kind of guy that just matches well with a Facebook video or a YouTube video. Why? Because he knows what those mediums require. He's good at delivering on it. He has an interesting perspective. On the internet, it matters much less stupid appearances, right? Uh, I'll tell you this, man. I'll never forget the first time I was on, and, and I'm sort of making a point about this. I'll, look, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh... I, I, I almost wouldn't want to see him on TV, not to see him get exposure, but if he was going to work with the UFC in some capacity and like some kind of an analyst or some kind of role where he had an on-screen presence, I would prefer it to be digital because I just feel like he thrives in that environment. And maybe he'd be good on TV too. I have no idea. Uh, certainly, he seems like a candidate verbally who who would be strong there, but he just seems to get the internet in ways that I think a lot of other guys don't who are good for TV. 
and I would rather see him stick to a forum where he's got a lot of strengths. Plus, the other point is he's creating content for his own channel. Like, he owns that. No one owns that except him. He has full rights to it. It's his at the end of the day. And that probably is very attractive to him. Also, another reason why he's a smart guy, right? Because he realizes, I can make content for UFC, but then they're just going to own it. Uh, and they'll have creative control over it, you know? Versus if he makes it for um, himself, he can do whatever he wants. He can say whatever he wants within reason. Um, and and because he understands these audiences and because he understands these platforms so well, that's why you see him shine like that. You know, when you made that video about Paul Harris, who's more Paul Harris holding on submissions too long, and he was showing all the submissions he had and how long it took before he let go on the tap versus all Paul Harris's and how much longer each time it was. He was showing you like, you know, it may not be like a lot on paper to look at the difference in time, but when you watch it next to each other like that, it had this incredibly stark difference. Like he's just, he just gets stuff like that and he gets, he gets social media and, and all that stuff. So I would, I, I'd almost prefer him, not necessarily he has to stay exactly what he's doing, but keep a guy where he has great strengths and Joe Lazan has many of them, not least of which is he understands digital media very well. All right, someone sent me this uh, to my email from the inbox. Was the only value that BJ Penn could offer the UFC was to be a sacrificial lamb to Rodriguez's career? No, I mean, if he could have resurrected himself, that would be of an immense value. Did he have no entertainment value as a competitor or symbol of an earlier time? He did back then. And if he was paired with similarly experienced and aged fighters, would that cheapen him and the UFC's quality past the point of integrity? Uh, a la Bellator. That's not what he wrote, but I'm going to write that for him. Um, I have no interest watching BJ fight people who are also past their expiration date. And to me, it is quite ghoulish to want them to do that. Uh, <laughs> I I don't, I frankly be honest, I don't understand the market for that. You know, you, you're seeing a guy who, when put under pressure, just takes it and doesn't throw back. It's time. It's time to call this off. It's time to call this off. Cease fire. Cease fire. Um, and that's okay. Like you know, I mean, he had a great run, but it's 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 time. To, it's time to stop doing this. It, it is unhealthy, and it's unhealthy to agree where there's very little upside. And just watching him in fun fights. You want to put him in a fun fight? Put him in a grappling match. Put BJ Penn up against Chinya Aoki in a grappling match or something. I don't know. I would watch that, right? Because jujitsu was his first love. Yes, there's a, there's a risk of injury, but not as much. Um, he's probably still very good at jujitsu with or without the gi. Uh, it doesn't require him getting punched or kicked in the head. There's just there's just a lot more upside to it. And now that there's you know pro MMA is a growing thing, um, there's a lot more reason to explore that opportunity. But Putting him in a cage, wrapping him up with gloves, and telling him to go punch another guy in the face. I think those days, sh they must be over. Let's see. UFC 208 matchmaking. This card feels a little underwhelming. It got some big names. Uh, but the matchup seemed a little bit off. Anderson Silva versus Brunson. I mean, they had to put a big name on the card, so I get it. Jacare versus Boach. I think they owed one of these guys a fight, so I get it. 
Glover versus Cannoneer. Love that fight. And the women's featherweight title. What do you think? And there's also the uh, Derek Lewis fight, right? Maybe I'm a little bit New York biased, but shouldn't the second UFC card in New York actually, actually be the third and the first in Brooklyn feel more exciting? Um, I, I never really understand these claims. Like, they only have a certain amount of guys on the roster. Um, they tried to put Aldo versus Holloway on it, and they couldn't for one reason or the other because the guy was injured or whatever the case. They can't manufacture. This isn't Westworld. You can't just manufacture somebody in the lab. You've got to use what you have. And they have to do it again in March. And they got to do it again in April. And in May, like they, they only have what they have. So I'm not saying you can't think of more, like, you know, th these are the only permutations that exist. But a lot of times folks are like, what's the alternative? Well, tell me what the alternative it is. Like, look at their schedule, look at their calendar, and tell me what the better matchups would have been here. In terms of what you could pay, what you could reasonably get guys to do. We never see behind the scenes how many guys turn down fights, either because they can't or they won't or they're injured or whatever. Like, to me, if you got these matchups, it's because, you know, they tried something else and they had to work their way down to this. And this is where they got. That's kind of basically how it works. Like, they can't just manufacture someone out of thin air. So I'm not saying you don't have a right to be like, I don't know if I want to buy this card. If you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. Like, it doesn't affect me. Or if you like it, buy it. Whatever you want to do, just do it. But when folks are like, this card is underwhelming, you know, shouldn't a card in New York be better? I mean, we're talking about a world of finite resources here. Um, and we don't know what guys are turning down. Like, they, it's just limited. Your choices are just limited. They don't know how else to say it. here true false y'all love the true false uh okay goldberg apparition last <laughs> sunday was the whiskey tango foxtrot moment of the week and shows that his exit wasn't that harsh as we imagined uh if you listen to joe rogan on the fight companion they like they confirmed it basically like the ufc folks didn't want to give him a send-off so harsh i don't know business business you know i the weird part was, I guess he's from Phoenix, so it doesn't make that. It actually makes a little sense that he was there. Only thing I don't get was he was wearing a, <laughs> a Harley Davidson shirt. Like, like what else was he doing? Was he eating corn nuts in the audience too? You know, like, like dude, you can stop the you can stop the peddling of their sponsors now. Like, you don't you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, but maybe he loves Harley. I don't know. But that definitely was like Jesus. Um, Anik deserves to get Goldberg's, Goldberg's job at Fox and pay-per-view shows. Uh, yes. 208 is way better card than we think. Do you mean like ultimately the fights could end up being so good that we rated highly? Yes. On paper, is it blowing a lot of people's skirts up? No. Chael and finishes Tito. Ooh. I'll say true. Barely, though. That's going to be a three-round fight, too, isn't it? Ronda fights again in 2017. I'm going to say true. Probably not true. But if, if she was going to retire, I think she would have retired by now. Right? A few weeks removed. Sergio Pettis fights for the title this year. He might. I'll say false, but he might. 
DC and or Cain retire this year? Ooh. Uh, I'll say true. Silva versus Boach and Jacare versus Brunson would make more sense. No. no I mean, Jacare versus Brunson maybe makes... Even then, that doesn't make sense. And Silva versus Boach makes absolutely no sense. Pena versus... Pena finishes Shevchenko. Ooh. I'll say false. Hisaki Kato looks more like a member of the Machida family than Chinzo. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's a good thing. Uh, why did you stop doing predictions? Um, I mean, uh, very simply, uh, when I went to SiriusXM, I uh, redid my contract. Some things stayed, some things didn't. That one didn't. Mutually agreed upon. So there you go. Now, this is the weird part about, and frankly, I wouldn't mind doing them still, but like part of me is like kind of kind of glad I don't. Again, I'd be happy to do them. It's not. It's. Not, I mean, if they did them, if I did them, great. If I didn't, that's fine too. Like, it's. I'm not like, oh my god, I'm not like you know, emotionally attached to it in that way necessarily. But like, understand, there's no benefit to doing them. And when I say no benefit, I mean no benefit, because even if you run the table, you might get a smattering of applause. And if you do mediocre, not poorly, mediocre too poorly uh everyone and their brother comes out and tries to stab you in the eye with a stick so you get no credit or virtually no credit for doing extremely well and you get a lot of blame for doing mediocre to poorly like why on earth would you want to continue with this exercise other than for your own sake which is why i wouldn't mind keeping to do it because i wouldn't mind sort of you know there's something to be said for like laying it out in the line and testing your own theories and then that part is kind of fun i suppose but um you know, and I thought people hated it when I did it, and now I've stopped, and everyone and their brother keeps asking about it. So it's like, well, if y'all, I mean, <laughs> the feedback I got was that y'all didn't want it, and when that's fine. But now that they're gone, apparently everyone wants them again. So I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Haka versus Montenegro, finish or decision? Um, a lot of controversy after Haga put Montenegro to sleep, but uh, but the fight ended. Should the decision be reversed or ruled in no contest as Montenegro's body was clearly limp before the final bell? This really depends. Uh, if you look at combatsportslaw.com, Eric McGracken has a post about this, and Missouri has a number of like really esoteric, bizarre rules that make overturning this a little bit difficult. If you're talking about what the normal, I think, unified rules would call for, something would be Big John McCarthy was explaining was that if the fighter is out from a submission as the final bell uh, sounds and they have to be revived at the end of it, that is the losing fighter. So Missouri might be different. Missouri might have a number of rules. I really encourage you to go to combatsportslaw.com to read the explained provisions included there because he does a pretty good job of explaining like why it's not necessarily so simple about overturning it. It still could be done, but it's not as ironclad as we think. But it seems... You know, rationally, if you got put to sleep and you couldn't tap, you shouldn't. You're not. I mean, you're not supposed to be saved by the bell with a knockdown. You know, you're not supposed to be saved by the bell with strikes. Uh, I mean, they have to stop the contest. But if you can't, if you got finished at, at, at that point, you have to be able to stand on your own power uh, and you have to be showing intelligent defense. Um, the bell doesn't save you. I don't know why the bell should save you if you got choked unconscious. Just sort of speaking out of principle.
y'all got these like uh, questions they ask people at the NFL Combine, like quarterbacks. How many second graders do you think could, you could beat up if they came at you in waves of ten, with a fifth grade boss coming every <laughs> fifth wave? I don't know, but there'd be a lot of banged up toddlers. Say that. Well, this is the saddest question I've ever seen in my life. BJ Penn versus CM Punk. Kill me, Lord, now. Jesus, take the wheel. Luke, if when the UFC does bring back CM Punk, do you think they might do it against someone like BJ? Smaller, recognizable name, well past his prime. It would be a fight that would garner a good amount of fan interest, regardless of the level of athletic prowess that would be on display during the fight itself. I might literally set myself on fire if they did something like that. What a disrespectful, evil thing that would be. Not so much giving, you know, CM Punk some kind of a size advantage, right? Because Lord knows against anyone his own size at this level, he is hopeless. But, uh, uh, that is the saddest question I've ever seen. That just seems unethical to me. I don't really care who it is. BJ Penn shouldn't be fighting. Even if BJ Penn was fighting second graders that came in waves of 10 and a fifth grade boss came every fifth wave, I wouldn't want to see him compete. I, 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 I done, done ski. No, no mas, please. I can't take this. You know, it, we're just, this is just gruesome. Let him be. Uh, are we finally at the point in time where you're ready to talk about your experience at Team Lloyd Irvin and your take on the controversies that have come up in the past? Um, no, because I am still at a school that is involved at the center of that. So when that day is over, maybe. Not a part of Team Lloyd Irvin, but you get the idea. Uh, Stockton's other favorite son. Hi, Luke. What is your opinion on the Nick Diaz situation? Do you really think the UFC offered him a fight against Woodley? Yes. When will we see him fight again? Your general thoughts. So as I understand it, here's how I understand it. I don't know if this is news or not. Uh, here's my count of fights he's turned down, and there might be more. He has turned down a Tyron Woodley title fight. He has turned down a Robbie Lawler fight. As I understand it, and I've confirmed with a couple of different people, he has turned down a Matt Brown fight. So, um, I don't know what he wants. I don't know what he wants. I mean, well, you do, right? Like, a rematch with Anderson Silva, another fight with George St. Pierre or something, um, a fight against Michael Bisping, perhaps. I, I don't, you know, a title fight against a middleweight or a huge money fight against some kind of big name. And you really kind of have to admire, like, you know, a guy who hasn't won a fight since, what, 2012, 2011? You have to kind of really admire his ability to stick to his guns, however irrationally we may perceive them to be. He just doesn't give an F, does he? <laughs> he doesn't give an F. Um, but yes, my understanding is he was offered all three of those fights, and maybe more. And he certainly turned those two down, those three down, excuse me. See. RDA to welterweight. Thoughts on RDA going up and who do you think he should fight? Let me pull this up for favor. Well, frankly, in his first welterweight fight, I wouldn't mind it being some like Ham and Egger, you know. Um, I mean, look at look at who's eleven to fifteen. Here's eleven to fifteen. Forget the top ten. 
11 to 15 is Johnny Hendricks, Jorge Masvidal, Tarek Safadin, Matt Brown, and Jake Ellenberger. I mean, I'm not saying he can't beat any of those guys, but I wouldn't put that in his first fight at welterweight. I would give him someone well below that uh, just as a means of introducing him to the division to see how viable this is Um, because he still has a lot of fight left in him. So how will he do? I don't know. He'll have a good speed advantage. You know, I'm trying to think here. Let me double check something if I'm not mistaken. He's gotten a lot older now. He's 32 Right, so cutting weight's not so easy. Um, I'm trying to look here. Did he not? Yeah. I mean, he's a small, I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's a small lightweight. I'm sorry, he's a small welterweight. Um, he'll thicken up a little bit as he gets to that weight class, but you know, here's a guy who would benefit from a 160, 163, 165 pound weight class um, that they don't have. And as a consequence, you're like, well, 170 doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Neither does draining himself to some terribly significant degree, significant degree at 155. The answer is that there needs to be more weight classes if what we're concerned about is matching guys with their appropriate size and with appropriately sized competition. Uh, we just don't have the architecture in place to make that happen. So guys have to make fairly drastic choices, at least insofar as you know, 15 pounds are concerned between uh, lightweight and, and, and welterweight. That's a lot, you know. It's a lot. 50 pounds is a lot. Um, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't think he's completely outmatched, but I can see like a big ass wrestler in that weight class tearing into him, you know. Because Dos Anjos has good jiu-jitsu, but it's mostly defensive. It's not super offensive. Uh, it takes a while for him. He's like actually a little bit risk-averse when it comes to passing. He's a little bit risk-averse when it comes to trying to snatch a submission. He often marries it off of strikes. Um, and just pure, like, you know, Nurmagomedov just took him down and and uh, top-controlled him, which he does with everyone. I'm just pointing out, like, Dos Anjos has really good jiu-jitsu, and... His guard was no match for uh, Nurmagomedov. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, let's see here. Edson Barboza. Edson Barboza has just been booked against Benil Dariush, but I was wondering what you think of the UFC having him sit on the sidelines when he is not injured and wants to fight. He is not typically a guy that talks about unions or being unhappy or complains a lot, is an exciting fighter, so why do you think the UFC benched him for so long? Who knows? Last thing, it could not have been because... It could not have been because they want to save him for Brazil because there were multiple Brazil cards from when he thought... He, he Jesus, this is barely written in English. Um, could have been retribution for some kind of contract negotiation. Could have been they just didn't have fights for him. Could have been a lot of guys were turning down fights against him. Could have been anything from innocuous to deviant. And it's very difficult to say from the outside looking in, but there are a lot of reasons sometimes guys feel like, oh, the UFC isn't doing anything for me, and they might be trying, but you can't make guys fight Benil Dariush. Uh, you just can't. Like they have to, oh, sorry, uh, 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 it's in Barboza. They have to say yes. And so, you know, I realize he may have had a bit of a long layoff. Let's see how long this layoff has been. It doesn't feel like that long to me. 
And you hear a lot of guys be like, I want to fight four to six times a year. I hear that all the time. So he last fought in July. Yeah, that's a long time. He fought before that in April. So, you know, he only had two fights last year. It's not a lot of money-making opportunity, but um, both of those went to decision. You know, it was tough guys, former UFC and then former Strikeforce champion. He won them both after losing to Tony Ferguson at the end of December. But, um, yeah, I can understand the, a, a measure of frustration related to that. But, uh with, again, you guys have to understand there's a lot of reasons that for things that happen behind the scenes that we're just not privy to. And a lot of that typically involves around what fights can be made according to what calendar, by what guys say yes, and whether or not uh, that camp or that manager or that guy has a good relationship with the matchmaker. Not having a good relationship with the matchmaker can delay or affect the kind of fights you get. I have heard a thousand stories like that. Um, it affected Ryan Bader's last fight. I can tell you that. Although he still wound up getting it, but uh, there was an issue there. Whew. Nate Diaz, will we see him again? Who knows? Will Sonnen's run on Celebrity Apprentice help viewership for Bellator this weekend? I don't think it could hurt, but I don't feel like... Uh, I don't feel like there's a lot of buzz about it. It's not like Paige on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, our president-elect, our president-to-be, by the way, I, I drove this morning th through the National Mall. Now, the National Mall is not a, uh, a shopping mall. The National Mall is essentially like the area of territory from the Congressional Building all the way to basically the Lincoln Memorial with the Washington Monument in between. It's this green space. You can walk there and stuff. That's where the inauguration will take place, right? It's at the back end of the Capitol building and then onto the, the, the back lawn and then all the way to the Lincoln Memorial. I drove through that this morning and they were setting up for the inauguration and it was a disaster everywhere. Uh, I don't know what the hell this has to do with anything, but it was on my mind. It, it's a night. Friday is going to be a nightmare in the city. I just want to point that out. Anyway, Neither here nor there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Donald Trump was tweeting, because he has nothing better to do, apparently, uh, that Arnold Schwarzenegger, the ratings were way down for Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, and uh, which is true. They, they're not what they were with him for whatever reason. Um, and I'm like the biggest Arnold Schwarzenegger fan maybe on earth. I literally watched The Running Man last night. I have a picture book about the time he took ballet lessons to help with his posing and bodybuilding. I have the encyclopedia of bodybuilding that he has written, including the, the older and the newer edition. Um, I've seen every one of his movies. I've watched, you know, Pumping Iron is like, you know, I mean, someone was like, would you rather go back in time and watch Jesus or watch Lazarus get raised from the dead or, you know, go back to the Mecca of bodybuilding and watch the Austrian Oak in his prime? This is a very easy call for me. But, um, but there's not a ton of buzz about it. Now, he's been doing pretty well on the show. He had trouble, I think, not this past week, but the week before, and stayed out of trouble by like, doing a really good job convincing Schwarzenegger and the other board members that he really wanted to be there. And that was cool, but like, it, I don't know how much buzz there is from that. And he, it, the show is still in its uh, you know, early to mid stages. Like, you know, Van Zant was making a little bit more buzz as she went through each week, but... Um, it was that she had made it to the finals. You know, what does that mean? So 
We'll see if he makes it to the finals or something, or if he wins. I think if he wins, it would really help. And sure, being on TV, the Celebrity Apprentice, I don't think it can hurt. No doubt about it. It doesn't hurt in any capacity whatsoever. That's an obvious thing to say. But I guess I just mean, I think being a Celebrity Apprentice will help, but I would caution against expecting a large bump. Um, but I do think, you know, Sonnen versus Tito, casual fans for free on Spike, that's probably going to do well. Um, whatever your thoughts about Tito, Tito not really talking to the media, uh, whatever your thoughts about that, it's pretty pretty strong, you know. Um, I just don't know that the Celebrity Apprentice will give some major, major boost. Sug3. Uh, See if we have the fight card. Some predictions. Some early predictions. Let's see what we got. Here's what I see. Dylan Danis versus AJ Agazarm. I would pick Danis. Hector Lombard versus Gary Tonin. I would pick Gary. Gordon Ryan versus Jeff Monson. I would pick Gordon Ryan. Jeff Glover versus Chad Mendez. Probably would be a stalemate um, because Jeff Glover will put on a show and not really go for any finishes, and Chad Mendez will just shut down everything. So there you go. Yay. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine. So what kind of tweets we got? You can use the hashtag chat rappers to send a question, and I will do my best to get to it. Uh, who is the worst matchup for Amanda Nunes? It might be with some development, uh, Shevchenko. Shevchenko in a five-round fight, I would like her chances very much. And if Shevchenko can improve her takedown defense, I think I, I like it even better. Uh, I think she will be a very, very tough matchup if she can keep developing her takedown defense and ground game. Is it obvious that the active fighter on the new season of The Ultimate Fighter is CM Punk? I don't know, but I have heard the season is Walter Waits, so take that for what it's worth. On weight classes, the new owners seem obsessed with title fights and run belts. Do you reckon they would be open to more weight classes? They might be open to catch weights. They might be open to catch weights. Gustafson versus Jan Blockowitz was the last UFC tune-up fight that I remember, and the only one in a while. That was a big one, and remember, it almost blew up in their face, but it worked. Another guy that deserved one was Alexander Gustafson, and I'm glad he got it. I'm glad he got it. TRT Vitor versus Rumble. Who you got? Rumble. How frequently do you get haircuts? About once a month. Just saw The Hurt Business. It's must-watch. Brings home how tough MMA is, and fighters deserve every penny. I have not seen that yet, but I've heard very, very good things. I heard if you're like a hardcore fan, there's not necessarily a whole lot... Um, to get out of it, but maybe I'm wrong. Is it really not okay to end a sentence using LOL as a punctuation mark? I mean, if you want to sound like an idiot, sure, go ahead. Any concern BJ Penn may fall prey to Bellator fluff fights should he keep fighting and would the UFC let him fight elsewhere? Well, as long as he's under contract, I don't think they would. But I don't know what his contractual situation is. I would be very much opposed to Scott Coker giving him a fight. Like, I would say something about that publicly if they if it came to that, which I hope it is not. 
Hey, Luke, do you think if Yair fought a a boxer like Frankie, he'd get chewed up? Um, yeah, someone who could stay in his face. Like if you give Rodriguez room to you know create space for his kicks and his motion and his jumping attacks, yeah, he'll set you on fire. If you can stay in his face and corner him and limit those kinds of things, then you have a much better chance of, um, uh, you know, you, you narrow what he can reasonably use, and then you can either, you know, transition to the parts of the game where he may not have as many talents. So, sure, I don't know if Frankie Edgar is exactly the guy, but yes, I can tell you for sure giving him space is a very bad idea. True or false, Rodgers is better than Brady. He might be this season, but not overall. Cruz versus Edgar is next. Definitely not true, but I wish it was. McGregor will retire after the Mayweather fight falls. Who can you see becoming a champ in 2017? Valentina Shevchenko. I can see becoming a champ. Um, I can see Dillashaw becoming a champ again. Although, boy, he's got the odds stacked against him in that house, doesn't he? That whole, his whole old team in there. Yikes. Um, Who else could I see becoming a champ this year? John Jones getting his title back. Maybe Cain Velasquez, if he can get healthy. Uh, who else? Um, maybe Wonderboy. Maybe Nurmagomedov. Maybe Ferguson. All, all those guys are, you know, right there, sniffing it. Who's your NCAA basketball team? I don't watch college basketball because it sucks. Uh, let's see. I'll watch March Madness because everyone loves March Madness, and it's fun, right? Rise and fire. There's Gus Johnson, you know, having fun with it. But typically speaking, college basketball is incredibly awful. Uh, your thoughts on Real signing the new Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, Alexander Isak. Yeah, I saw that. The kids are, what, what, 17, 16? We'll see what happens with them. They're going to put them out on loan somewhere anyway, even if they do sign them. Uh, would you rather listen to Eddie Bravo's conspiracy theories, watch First Take or Undisputed, or go to the inauguration? I'd rather watch First Take. About BJ, the UFC did use Hendo to pump TRT Vitor in Brazil, and they used Liddell to promote Rashad's rise. They used Liddell for a lot more than that. Liddell got used, not used in that way, but in the normal course of evolution of a fighter's career, if they hang around and you're past your prime, and I don't mean like past your like, Liddell was past his prime. BJ is way past that. Uh, like he's not getting viciously KO'd because, you know, that's the next stage, but because he never fought in that way and maybe he had a better chin. And, you know, Chuck had a good chin too, but he fought on it a lot more. Um, he, you know, he, he just used it a lot more in ways I don't think BJ necessarily did. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, Chuck. Chuck's star power was transferred to those who he fought at the very end of his career, no doubt about it. What's going on with the World Series of Fighting? Are they running out of money, or are they just trying to do things better finally? I don't know if they've ever made money. I mean, they're nice guys over there. Everyone loves, uh, you know, Ray Cepho. But, I, I mean, I would love to see their, you know, their losses and their, and their, and, and their revenues yearly. I would be shocked if they have made hardly any money ever. True, false. WMEIMG and the double M triple A are the two worst acronyms in MMA history. Yes, they certainly are. 
why does Angela Hill get so much heat? And don't you think that Chiz should take a long, long time off cause of the KO? Well, I don't know who Chiz is. C-H-I-S. Why does Angela Hill get so much heat? I think because she is outspoken about her uh, personal and political views and people want that until they don't. Uh, does Connor think Dana is trying to help negotiations uh, with Floyd by lowballing him? I don't know. You have to ask Connor. Will you be paying for the Connor McGregor interview? I'll be watching. I believe that's the same day, if I'm not mistaken, as uh, as um, you'll see on Fox 23. So I'll be watching that, unfortunately. But I will try to do my best to keep up with it. What's the saddest moment this weekend? BJ Penn's performance or the departure of Tim Kennedy? BJ Penn's performance. Tim Kennedy capping off the end of his career with this amazing salutation, a send-off they wrote on Facebook that was really poignant and uh, observational and smart and thoughtful, you know, coming to a conclusion, ending things in a way where it was time to end them. You know, it's sad that his career is over, but did that do, you know when he made his MMA debut? August of 2001. Dude's been in it a long time, has done a lot, and done a lot of things while also fighting. Like, who knows how good he could have been, you know? Um, incredible guy. And he had a great distinguished career, and um, it's sad to see him go, but it's not sad in a pathetic sense. It's sort of sad in this longing kind of way. Uh, Luke, I think I have the G Fuel that you're drinking. It is effing awful. Why did you get that flavor? I... A friend recommended it, and now I'm going to stop being friends with him. Who is Musasi supposed to fight, and why does this? Why does the? And why does Brunson get Anderson Silva? Musasi had that fight booked. Again, that could come down to pay. That could come down to needs they have for Europe for Musasi. That could come down to future calendar uh, requirements. There could be a lot of moving parts behind there. Maybe they want more money. Maybe there's a certain payroll number. We'll have to see. I'll, I'll try to get him on the show and figure it out. Penn versus Northcut. I'd rather die. What's your thoughts on the McGregor pay-per-view interview? Hope it goes well for him. There's just one guy, King Buck 88 that always asks the most asinine questions. Any past experiences with people stealing UPS FedEx packages off of your doorstep? Not that I'm aware of. Could the UFC possibly do a MMA versus boxing event with McGregor Diaz and some other fighters? There was a moment there where it was rumored Affliction was going to do that. They were going to have a card that was going to be like half MMA fighters with MMA bouts in a ring and then half boxers, but like big time boxers. I think I want to say even one time it was rumored De La Hoya was going to be boxing, but I could be wrong about that. I think he had long since retired at that point. But um, I remember there was times where we were like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And they abandoned the idea, and of course, the whole thing went tits up. But will Nick Diaz ever fight again? Yes. I know I've asked this before, but does there ever come a point where the late career losses affect legacy? To an extent, they can. But once you've achieved something and that has been written in some kind of stone, you know, you're one of first two and then one of three people now to win two titles in, in uh, different weight classes. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you do after that, but it doesn't. How do you unring that bell? Uh, it, it is so significant an achievement that 
um, you might have to say if, if the ending becomes so badly and you do so much damage that you have to acknowledge it, but it stands on its own too. You know, something like that is such a special achievement that it stands on its own. And so I don't know what's going to happen to McGregor for the rest of his career, but, you know, standing on next to the, the pens and the couture's of the world in terms of that achievement, he'll always have it. He'll always have it. And I, I think that is, you know, very, very special. He'll always have that. Uh, have you ever gotten food poisoning? I one time got food poisoning in Cairo, Egypt, in a way that was, you can't imagine how bad that was. Thought I literally thought I was going to die. Um, was there ever in MMA history a better fight on paper than Habib versus Ugly Tony? I'm not sure who Ugly Tony is. If so, which one? You could make an argument that, like, uh, on paper, Jones versus Cormier is better. On paper. And who knows how this fight is going to turn out. Maybe one of these guys gets knocked out in 10 seconds and it's like great as a knockout, but not great as a fight. That could happen. So we'll have to see. Why is Nate Diaz the only fighter following in Connor's steps in relation to boxing licenses and purses? Because he has a big ass paycheck he just cashed. He has a certain aesthetic, or a certain, I should say, um, certain way in which he views his own worth and what fights he will and he won't take. He's a bit of a malcontent. And I mean, that as a compliment. And because he doesn't need money right now and is looking for other big fights and to gain leverage, these kinds of acts make sense to him. I think a lot of other guys just don't promote themselves this way or have the kind of financial resources to make these kinds of choices. London tickets on sale soon. Do you think we can expect anything big other than another Bisping fight? Um, sure. What do you make of Juban calling out RDA 170? He's not the only one. I think uh, Tarek did as well. Safadine. Is that a fight you would want to see? Sure. That makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. One thing I haven't heard discussed on the Conor Floyd fight is the weight. Your thoughts. That'd be another thing that Floyd would be absolutely, he would try to drain Conor as much as possible with that. So, you know, even if it was down to something like one, I mean, could Conor make 141? I don't think so. But Mayweather could, right? So they would probably try to put that down, uh, into the 143, 44. I mean, if they had to do 145, they would. But they wouldn't go any higher than 145. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. How do you think the Chael versus Tito fight will play out? I think Chael will strike with him a little bit on the feet. I think Chael will bang him out against the fence a little bit, control him there, and will look for takedowns once they're there. Um, Tito might get on top a little bit, but I doubt it. I feel like Chael is just going to... I could be totally wrong about this. Do you all, don't you all feel like Chael's just going to dominate him? And maybe I haven't thought this through and given Tito the credit he deserves, but that's sort of like where I'm at with this. What are your thoughts on Invicta 21? One first round arm bar tap or third round choke out, both right at the bell. Who won? Well, generally, I've sort of been over this, but generally I would say the Invicta 21 card was really, really good. I wouldn't call it great. Oh, my God. God, amazing, but, but definitely pretty good. And um, great main event. Uh, some great head kick KOs. Some good submissions. Some good back and forth. Very competitive fights for the most. Well, um, 
either blowouts or competitive fights, which is kind of what you want out of a card, you know? And you saw the ascendancy of important figures in women's MMA at the same time. So it had a lot to offer, I think, a lot of different people. Let me see if there's anything else I can get to here. Michael Schiavello, Mara Ronaldo. Do you think either may be a potential hire for the UFC for commentating? I wish, but I don't. I think Mara is tied in. He spelled Mara Ronaldo wrong. There's no E in Ronaldo. Um, I think Ronaldo's tied up with Showtime, and I don't know if Schiavello's tied up with HDNet. I, I like him a lot, but I think they're going for mainstream names, you know. And I think these guys, Schiavello and Ronaldo, would do a better job by a million miles. And and Ronaldo's pretty mainstream at this point, but. Um, but I just don't think that those guys are going to get hired either because they contractually can't get picked up or because, um, uh, these are not the right fit. Now, one question back to you, like the Musasi thing, like why wasn't Musasi booked against somebody at, uh, 208? Like we're talking about who's available on the roster. They can't just manufacture someone like it's Westworld. Unless there's something I'm missing about, they need, they need Musasi for some kind of European card down the line, or he was asking for too much money or whatever the case may be. I would agree that. Musasi versus Jacare, excuse me, or Musasi versus Silva would make more sense. But there also the argument, other argument is that Anderson Silva very quickly. Let me look up his record, just so I can be very very clear about it. You know, he lost his last fight, which he took on short notice. Although as I understand, he may have taken this one on short notice too. I mean, he's lost his last one, two, three, four, five. I can see what. Well, he had a no contest in between with Nick Diaz. I guess he won that one, but you know what I'm saying. He's lost four of his last five bare minimum. I could understand why they would want to give him an easier bout than than uh, Musasi, right? I, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So take that for what it's worth. All right, y'all, I appreciate you watching. If you got any questions, email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Thank you so much. Um, Bellator 170 is this weekend, huh? We'll see how that goes. That should be a fun card. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at sbnlukethomas. You can email me. I'm sorry, you can Facebook me at facebook.com slash Luke Thomas News, and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for watching. Give it a thumbs up. Sh share and tell your friends about it. You make the world go round when you do. Uh, pray for me on Friday that I don't get stuck in the worst traffic imaginable here in the nation's capital. And I will talk to you guys in this format next Wednesday. Until that time, stay frosty.